0: The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. There's a God in heaven who wants to hear from you, and believe me, as the mother of two grown sons, I know that like most men, they never seem to be able to satisfy my longing to have a frequent conversation. I want them to share with me the things that they're doing in life and why. Well, it's simple. I have a mother's love for them, just as God has a father's love for you. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. In every spirit-filled life, we should spend time in prayer every day. This can be individually and often together with others in corporate prayer meetings. Spiritual warfare in confronting the opposing powers of darkness is a subject that we have to approach with care and great wisdom. It's a privilege to participate in real Holy Spirit-led prayer meetings because corporate prayer is one of God's major activities that He's ordained to allow believers to co-labor with Him. The starting point of prayer is that we have a high priest in heaven who's very much in touch with every facet of our lives. Jesus, our Lord, Savior, and now our High Priest, is at the right hand of God, praying for us. And He's been through weakness and testing, even death. He's experienced everything we're going through in life, but without sin. So let's approach God's throne of grace today in the name of Jesus and receive the mercy and help that He offers us in His name. He's conquered death and the devil, but he still allows Satan some space and time to test us so we'll learn to be overcomers. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers, but this I know. You don't want to be wounded in action. And in Daniel chapter 10, the curtain is drawn back on the unseen world, and it teaches us that there are principalities over nations such as the Prince of Persia mentioned in this chapter. These principalities control and influence nations. Yet a fasting and praying believer, like the prophet Daniel, brought the archangel Michael on the scene to fight for his people and to release them from captivity. The Bible assures us that the weapons of our warfare aren't physical, But they're spiritual, they're mighty through God to tear down strongholds, weapons such as fasting and prayer. And Psalm 149 also concerns spiritual warfare and teaches us the power of high praises with singing and musical instruments that move God to bind spiritual kings and principalities into invisible chains then God's program can advance. At the beginning of His ministry, Jesus announced His purpose in coming to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. And 1 John 3, 8 underscores the Lord's mission by declaring the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So, if, if Jesus legally fulfilled His mission, and He surely did, Why is the world still overrun by dark, satanic forces? It's as if the devil knows his time is short, so he's trying to inflict maximum damage while he can. Well, a day is soon coming when God will bind Satan. But in the meantime, God still allows Satan to exist. It's a mistake for believers in prayer meetings to think that they can destroy Satan. As Christian author Judson Cornwall wrote, it's not our assignment to destroy Satan because God has not finished with him yet. You see, God permits Satan and his demonic hosts to continue doing evil. Not forever, mind you, but for a season until the millennial rule of Messiah begins. And then Satan will be bound and stopped. In the meantime, God allows Satan to test us as Job was tested and to oppose us in order to help us to learn to maintain humility in our lives, to help us to develop faith, to learn how to overcome trials, to teach us how to fight, and we're sometimes afflicted physically to make us straighten up and fly right. God also continues to demonstrate His power over satanic forces through various faith challenges that we all go through. So it's important to give clear admonitions about dealing with demonic forces. We must understand proper spiritual authority. Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory was a prayer leader in Jerusalem, and he understood spiritual hierarchy. I sought Lance's advice concerning prayer journeys in the Middle East, and his advice was always to be sure that I was hearing from God. Because Lance often told the story of two women who were intercessors, but they went too far in rebuking and addressing principalities, something they had no business doing, because God had not directed them. It was a presumption. And Lance said those women, one of whom was a well-known Christian writer, went off the rails, so to speak, and spent the rest of their lives with a dark cloud over their heads. So I'm warning you of the dangers of addressing Satan in spiritual warfare prayer. And as I mentioned in our ministry's handbook, the spirit of excellence, railing and ranting against Satan is not allowed in our prayer convocations. And Jude 1.9 in the New Testament gives us scriptural authority for this prohibition. It says, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, didn't dare pronounce against him a railing accusation, a railing judgment. But he said, quoting an Old Testament scripture, the Lord rebuke you. So in Jude 1, 9, the phrase railing accusation or railing judgment actually means blasphemous. You may ask, how could it be blasphemy to rail against Satan? But God set up a hierarchy in the beginning, and Satan was the highest created being before the sin of pride entered his heart and caused him to fall. Now Michael the Archangel respected Satan's authority even if Satan's authority had become corrupted. It's interesting that King David in the Old Testament exhibited the same caution in mentality. One time in a cave, David had snuck up on his enemy, King Saul, and David severed a tassel from King Saul's cloak to prove that he'd been near and he'd had a chance to kill Saul. But nevertheless, David's heart condemned him for cutting off the tassel. His conscience hurt him because David realized Saul was still the Lord's anointed, even though Saul had become a corrupt king. And the Apostle Paul exhibited the same cautious attitude when he was speaking before the Sanhedrin. The Apostle's statement angered the high priest, Ananias, who instructed one of the security guards to smack Paul in the mouth. And Paul showed righteous indignation, saying, You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the laws by commanding that I be struck? Then the apostle prophesied God's judgment. He said, God will strike you. But when Paul was informed that he had spoken against the Jewish high priest, he apologized, saying he didn't know he was the high priest. Even in a corrupt court, Paul honored authority. Paul was aware that rulers should be treated with respect, but he could hardly believe that such a man was a ruler of his people. So let's go back to Jude 1.9. The mighty archangel Michael said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. And Michael was quoting Zechariah 3 2, which is a very useful verse against Satan. And we're on safe scriptural ground when we quote the Word of God. Jesus did that when dealing with Satan. And notice that this verse in Zechariah mentions the Lord three times. It says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. So let's not rush in where angels fear to tread and behave with presumption. Rather, we must be wise enough to take on board Michael's example, not to revile Satan and call him odious names. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, you don't want to go through the school of hard knocks because it can be dangerous to your health and even to your life if you overstep. You see, we have a saying in our ministry that I believe is a great protection. We do no uncommanded work. We don't say yes to every battle. If the Lord is not commanding us to get involved or to spearhead a work, we don't get involved. Not every battle is your battle. Like Moses, our attitude should always be, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not interested. We're not going. Well, I hope you're taking to heart when I'm sharing, and if you've been casually taking swipes at the devil in prayer meetings, stop it. Proverbs 9.8 says that if you correct a mocker, he will hate you, but if you rebuke a wise person, they'll love you for it. Now let's look in the New Testament at Mark 3.27, a verse that's motivated me for years. It's tremendously important concerning spiritual warfare. It says that no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. In this verse, Satan is compared to a strong man. And the Lord likens himself to one who's stronger. The goods in this parable are precious souls. The binding of Satan will be accomplished by Jesus at the end of this age and for a thousand years, as described in Revelation chapter 20. But as for now, we're commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission to cast out devils on the scene. Breaking the power of the devil is best accomplished by doing the works of Jesus. We're to resist Satan. And as I said, the book of Revelation talks about the binding of Satan by Jesus at the end of this age, before the millennial reign of Jesus starts. And then Satan will be kept in chains until he's released for one last rebellion at the end of the millennial rule of peace. But when it comes to prayer and faith, we must learn not to focus on the problems and obstacles. Instead, we must choose to focus on the power of God, which can never fail. I hope you're familiar with the account of the 12 spies in Numbers chapter 14 in the Torah. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, focused on the power of God when they did reconnaissance in the Promised Land. The other 10 spies concentrated on the giants who inhabited the land. We must learn to walk closely with God long enough to trust His word and His reliability to overcome the giants. His word won't fail us and we need to learn that through many life experiences The world is always trying to tell you that God's not reliable, but he's the most reliable power in the universe and the only one who never changes. One of the characteristics, the greatest characteristics, I think, when I look for a co-worker is reliability. I'll take a reliable person even over talent because a person can be the most talented in the world, yet not reliable. But thank God, his reliability can always be counted upon. His mercies never failed, and they're new every morning. Well, besides fasting and prayer, one of the most powerful weapons we have in spiritual warfare is repentance from sins and generational sins. Repentance just pulls the rug out from under the devil because it removes the legal ground that Satan has claimed. God may reveal to you the big principalities that rule over nations and cities, but there's a right way to deal with them. You're not to challenge them. Instead, we must petition God to remove them while we repent of the sins that allowed a demonic stronghold in the first place. I want to share with you in light of this, a pastor who lives in the American state of Florida, and he had a disturbing prophetic dream recently about a minister who styles himself as a prophet and who was hospitalized in critical condition. The minister in Florida shared his prophetic dream as a warning for believers who carelessly and sometimes even recklessly address principalities. In the dream, the Florida pastor walked into a dark cave where several evil principalities were meeting and strategizing together. These demons wore different types of armor and one of the principalities had the word death printed on his armor. And another principality was identified on his armor as Aran and the Middle East. In the dream, the mini's principality said he wanted to kill the prophet in the hospital because that prophet had been praying against that specific principality. As the dream continued on the wall of the cave, Was a list of specific targets. The Florida minister recognized some of the names, but some he didn't. So in the dream, he asked the Lord if some of these men of God had died before their time, and the Lord said, yes. The bottom line of the dream and of the warning is not to engage in spiritual warfare that God has not directed or commanded. The article about the dream resonated with me Because for more than 10 years, the Holy Spirit led me to lead prayer meetings in Jerusalem with a specific mandate, and the mandate was to pray and believe God, to bind the hegemonious principality in the Middle East. The Holy Spirit not only initiated the prayer meetings, but He told me when the meetings were to stop, because He said the prayer bowls were filled to overflowing from those meetings. And while the meetings were progressing, the Holy Spirit was very firm that nobody participating should make any railing accusations against Satan. It was our job to pray and then to believe God to send Michael or to deal himself with a regional principality as captain of heaven's armies. So may God continue to release understanding into the rules of engagement when it comes to dealing with demonic principalities. And may genuine intercessors step forward to fulfill his purposes under his lordship and direction. Surely we must have more informed and strategic prayer in this hour. Prayer that's truly spirit-led by leaders who are appointed and anointed by God. Now this teaching in no way is meant to make you fearful of the devil, but we must follow New Testament patterns of prayer and behavior and be sure that we're not giving place to Satan with open sin going on in our lives. So I'd like to explain that there are two aspects of ministry in general, two sides of the coin, so to speak. In ministry, there's demolition on the one hand, and then building up on the other. You can't have one without the other. The church builds up the kingdom of God, but at the same time, we're engaged in a war, against the gates of hell. This truth is illustrated in Jeremiah chapter one. The chapter concerns the call of God to Jeremiah, that he was set by God over nations to pluck up and to destroy the kingdom of darkness through his prayers and prophesying, but also he was called to build and to plant as a God ordained leader. Sometimes believers are too demon-conscious, and that's very annoying. However, I've learned from many mentors and from being involved in many ministries and gospel campaigns that it's not enough to build the kingdom of God. We must also be involved in the demolition of the kingdom of darkness. A person of spiritual stature truly learns to bring joy to heaven by winning souls. But we must also cause setbacks to the kingdom of darkness because of our prayers and our god commanded exploits, because the works of the Lord are God-inspired and Spirit-anointed. We know from studying the book of Ephesians in the New Testament that Satan's army is a well-ordered hierarchy. There are principalities, powers, world rulers of this present darkness, spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, and demons on the lower level of Satan's hierarchy. Demons can take up residence in people and also in places, and they must be cast out. And by the way, you don't have to be a priest to cast out devils. Exorcisms is one of the signs that's supposed to follow every believer, according to the Great Commission of Jesus in Mark chapter 16. And I know it's not politically correct to talk about demons, but as one who's called to believe God for the release of multitudes in the end time harvest, I must seriously consider what the New Testament teaches about the work of demons against unbelievers to prevent people from receiving eternal life. And we're living at the age that's the end of the Gentile age. This is our last ditch opportunity to win as many Gentiles as possible before God pours out his spirit once again upon Israel. And we can hasten the revival in Israel by filling up the fullness of the Gentiles. Can you see that? So it's our duty to cast out demons to forward the kingdom of God. In Mark 3.27, Jesus taught us the practicality of robbing the strong men of goods, of souls. And obviously, more goods can be plundered when a strong man is bound. If he's not bound, we can be fugitives on the run. Demons can cause people to be spiritually blind. Paul observed this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He wrote, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. Therefore, Satan, whom Paul calls the God of this world, blinds people from perceiving the gospel. There are many ways that Satan blinds people, by causing them to accept Jesus as just one of many prophets or... As a good moral teacher, rather than receiving him as Lord of their lives. Another doctrine of demons is propagating the tolerant, religiously correct view that there are multiple paths to God and that hell doesn't exist. Demons blind people to the consequences of sin. So many people are deceived into thinking, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. But the Bible says, there's not one who's good, for all have fallen and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And people are drugged with apathy and carelessness to the urgency of salvation. They're deceived into thinking that they have loads of time and it's not necessary to repent now. They're lulled into a deadly stupor that they can put off receiving the Lord to another time in the distant future. Yet the Bible urges, today is the day of salvation, because tomorrows are never guaranteed. People are also deceived into thinking that God is too nice and too good and too merciful to punish sinners. The lie is continually propagated that hell will be a big party with old friends and hell raisers. Demons popularize the lie that heaven is a crashing bore. But the Bible testifies that at the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. Well, demons also incite slander against preachers and evangelists and so forth. And then there are spirits of depression and insanity that make people incapable of comprehending the gospel and responding to the Lord. And these spirits must be discerned and cast out. In the realm of sickness and disease, there are blind spirits that cut off sight as well as deaf and mute spirits so that a person's ability to see, hear, and perceive the gospel is greatly diminished. These also must be discerned and cast out. So how shall we engage in spiritual warfare to combat all of these things? God seeks intercessors who will stand in the gap and decree This word of God into situation. God seeks serious believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit, who have faith to cast out demons and to overthrow strongholds by fasting and corporate prayer. God seeks believers who are willing to take up the whole armor of God to withstand demons, wielding the sword of the Spirit, this word of God. And so we must see evangelism as aggression against Satan's kingdom. Every evangelistic campaign must be protected by fasting and prayer because demons are at war to prevent precious souls from turning from darkness to light. Under the leading and unction of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we give a powerful command to demonic spirits to depart so that souls who are bound may clearly hear and comprehend the gospel. Intercessory prayer is spiritual warfare and can be very demanding. I think you've you've seen me explain that. But Ephesians 6.12 teaches that we're not, after all, wrestling with human beings, but we're wrestling against demon rulers of darkness and spiritually wicked evil spirits in the atmosphere. Intercessory prayer is not just praying to God, but as Jesus and the apostles clearly demonstrated, intercessory prayer is very proactive in commanding demons to depart. But when his disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast out a certain spirit, he explained that fasting should be a part of our lives also. Fasting brings another dimension altogether of spiritual power. So may God strengthen us today to take up the challenge to walk in a holy manner so that we'll give no foothold to Satan to weaken our testimony and effectiveness. Otherwise, Satan just laughs at a spiritual hypocrite. You know you're in trouble when a demon speaks to a person and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? One of the greatest compliments to my ministry was when I was ministering in the Indian state of Rajasthan. As soon as we entered a church building, a woman who was possessed by a spirit began to convulse and demand that we should leave immediately because the demon was greatly threatened by our presence. But instead we cast out the demon and then the woman enjoyed the service in her right mind. Hallelujah. Well, I hope this discussion on spiritual warfare has been a blessing and has clarified some important issues for your protection and health. If you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate to contact me through social media at Christine Darg, or we invite you to visit our website exploits.tv at any time, day or night, where you'll find archives of our teaching videos, as well as the latest Israel prayer alerts, news and analysis. And we also invite you to click online to request a free copy of our Color Magazine Exploits with features on healing Israel and prophetic biblical teachings. Well, until the next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Contending always for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. The Jerusalem Channel couldn't exist without you, the viewers, who make our broadcast possible. I can't say enough how much we appreciate your comments, your suggestions and support. From the City of the Great King, I want to tell you how much we value your prayers also. As the people of Israel say, Todah thank you for being a part of this ministry.